We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This thing on? See, now I'm getting mad. Because it's getting ready to be on. I want my whiskey to bite me a little bit. This is the kind of psychopath that I hang out with. I got beat up outside of a Denny's. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. He likes to get in the ex's nose. Something I can't do with this podcast because I drink too much. Chris Kruger. My rollerblading blonde mohawk producer. The pettiest, hardest drinking Bills podcast. I'm an adult. I know what I'm about. to another edition of the Rock Power Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder, Drew Gear, and that's my producer, Chris Krueger. And this is your Week 3 preview, the Washington football team against our Buffalo Bills. Hot damn, Chris, the time. 1 p.m. Eastern Standard, the place, Ralph Wilson Stadium in Orchard Park, New York. The weather actually looks like it's going to be pretty nice. Uh, fall weather is finally here in western New York. Partly cloudy, 66 degrees. The line, as it sits today, is nine and a half. The Bills are nine and a half point favorites. Who do we have on the call, Chris? Chris Myers, Daryl Johnston, and Jen Hale, one o'clock on Fox. Why do I know that name, Daryl Johnston? Like, where? What games has he called for the Bills recently? I would love to hit you in the face with a shovel. <laughs> He's the fullback from the Cowboys Super Bowl years when they beat the shit out of us. Is that why I remember that name? Yeah. What an ass. Yeah. Well, I'll be at the game. Well, he is from Syracuse, so. Who cares? Whoa, because he's from my backyard. I'm supposed to give a shit about him or his feelings. Boo. Fuck that guy. Better than having Matt Millen. Oh, my God. I always get a kick out of these games. I mean, this was since I'm already I'm already on this, folks. We are here. We're previewing our upcoming matchup with the Washington football team. I don't want to be un-PC and slip and say the wrong thing, right? Accidentally call them by a name that they were called for decades. I understand. Which is not offensive. It's not offensive, but either, well, hey, it's not for me to decide, right? I, I will say this. Offense is like anything else. I don't get to tell you how to feel about things. All I can do is determine whether or not I care that you're mad at me. It's all I can do. And I can say, look, I said this thing. I didn't mean it in the way that you're taking it. I understand if you're upset. I'll stop saying it to you. But also, if it's a term that 
it's neither here nor there. Well, what it comes down to is, is that the Washington football team sucks, right? Yeah. They suck. But they suck at a base level. I mean, you're talking about a team that carried around a name that was called derogatory and that they were sued over and everything else. And they didn't care. And I, they didn't care for decades and decades and decades. And then when all of the other trouble caught up with them, they kind of opted to use it as like, a, well, look, see, guys, we're still trying to be better. Now we're going to try to be better because we're in trouble for this other stuff over here that we don't want to talk about. I, this is why I love I love this. I love Washington football team week, mostly because it's one of the three or four times a year I have a vehicle to just trash their owner and people can't just claim that it's apropos of nothing or they came out of left field. It's one of the, I remember Pre, Preston. Uh, do you remember Preston King? Yep. He was just like, man, you come out of you come out of nowhere with some heat for our owner. It's like, yeah, well, can you blame me? I mean, I think what enrages me the most is that Dan Snyder isn't just a dirtbag. He's not even a great dirtbag, right? Like, it's kind of how Little Debbie is a knockoff, like a crappier version of Hostess or Entenmann's. Dan Snyder is the Little Debbie version of Mr. Burns from The Simpsons. I can see that. And at the end of 2019, Bill Horgan, one of the writers over at SB Nation's Hog Heaven, wrote a piece entitled, 20 years of Dan Slinger's ownership has completely destroyed the Redskins fan base. It's a headline with the simple subtitle, there's just nothing left. Now, I've witnessed it firsthand. He's personally responsible for driving Preston and his buddies from North Carolina, who are Redskins fans at heart, to the point where they love their football team, but hate him so much that they'd rather travel here to Buffalo to watch football, live action football here and tailgate with us rather than pay to attend what FedEx Field is an hour or two away from him. Yeah. Rather than put money in Dan Snyder's pocket, they would rather fly up the coast to watch a football game. I can't even... Pre- Chris, I used to think it was because we were cool. Now, Dan Snyder just sucks that much. Oh, and every time we go to play them, I'm just reminded of this. I mean, that's cold-blooded, and that's the kind of pettiness that I love, which is why I think we get along with those guys. Bill Horn's uh, closure to this article, which I will tweet out over at Rock Pile Report in case anyone wants to just see it themselves this week before we play. I'm going to read it to you. Sports fans can weather a storm. If a team loses for a week or a month or a season, fans continue to support them because of the opportunity for the storm to pass and for things to get better. Redskins fans have given up hope because our storm is named Daniel Snyder, and he is the worst owner in the NFL. This article has hardly scratched the surface of his many sins against the NFL, the franchise, the players, and its fans. It has become horribly and depressingly clear over the last two decades that there is no silver lining and no dawn that will follow the darkness. Dan is with us. He has been with us for 20 years. He's 54 years old and appears healthy and content to continue into the future in exactly the same manner as he has stumbled through the past, lurching from one crisis to another. The Redskins' ownership and front office are a continuous slow-motion train wreck on an infinite loop, crashing again and again like a repeating yet humorless real-life version of Groundhog Day, where Redskins fans are trapped inside in a hopeless cycle of failure and disillusionment. We've finally just given up. Has anyone ever written anything like that about the Buffalo Bills? I don't think so. I don't think so. (laughs) 
The best part is Dan Snyder can't even attend the game on Sunday because he's been finding, I'm going to put this in quotes, not suspended, just not allowed anywhere near his own football team until Roger Goodell says so. For his team's sexual harassment quagmire that blew up last summer, which is further proof that he's crap and so is everything that he touches. I mean, he's a legitimate reverse King Midas. Everything he touches turns to shit. He's an unscrupulous ghoul of a man. A curse that I wouldn't wish on anybody. Not even you, Chris. Or the Patriots. <laughs> and there's something about his face and just his overall personality and the tone of his voice when you hear him speak. I mean, if we're being if we're being perfectly honest, I'm comfortable admitting that I'd like to bite his nose. He's got a very punchable face. It's just one of those things that it makes me... Like, the run-up to these games is always interesting because I hate Dan Snyder so much. I want us to beat this football team badly. Not just beat them, but beat them badly. And this is the funny thing about this, is that it's a tough one to forecast because we don't see each other very often. We don't. But it is interesting in that since losing to Washington in the Super Bowl back in 1992, the Bills own a hilariously one-sided 7-1 and record against them. Now, here's some of the recent highlights. Uh, we held Dwayne Haskins to 144 total passing yards and four sacks. Uh, we shut him out in the Rogers Center back in 2011, like two days before they announced that Brian Fitzpatrick had gotten his big payday, and that was the game he broke his ribs in. In 99, when the Bills were surging towards the postseason down the stretch... I still think of this game in my head as the Antoine Smith game, where he punched in back-to-back touchdowns in the second and third, and the Bills had 200 yards rushing, while Washington managed 289 total yards as a team. Now, I would trade all of those wins for just one Super Bowl victory, but that doesn't make kicking the shit out of the Washington football team any less sweet. It just feels good. And if you think about it, There's a common thread throughout all of it. And it's something that I think Bills fans, maybe because they're not in our conference, we lose sight of this. But they've suffered the same fate we have up until this point. They've had the same ridiculously terrible luck just trying to identify and develop a quarterback. I I went back. Okay. Here, look. Some geezer pretending to be Donovan McNabb. Chris, that was actually Donovan McNabb? Yep. Rex, I sacked myself on back-to-back plays in the Super Bowl Grossman. RG3, where the G was actually for glass, not Griffin. Kirk Cousins, the NFL's smartest quarterback. When you figure he's the eighth highest paid quarterback in league history, despite never having won a playoff game. He played the Washington football team and their GM like a fiddle with that franchise tag nonsense and then followed it up with the only fully guaranteed quarterback deal ever. Dude, how crazy is that that Kirk Cousins is the eighth highest paid player ever? That's how contracts work. If your contract is up and you're a quarterback, you're probably going to get the most money. Yeah, but he because he made them franchise tag him twice, in in one in like one season he got like I think it was 20, 28 million guaranteed. Yeah. And then the following year, they had to pay him 30 million guaranteed. And then he just left town. And then Minnesota paid him and then paid him again. 82 million over three years fully guaranteed. So he, in four, five years of football, made 
literally, not just like, hey, your contract value is over 100. They actually gave him $100 million. That's incredible. I mean, their franchise is literally the owners of the two most gruesome injuries to a quarterback ever. Joe Theismann, and then again to Alex Smith. Throw in Case Keenum, and that rounds out the quarterbacks that have run that offense for the last decade. How terrible is that? That's bad. So it's absurd that the one year that they're supposed to have something to work with at the quarterback position, they bring in Ryan Fitzpatrick, and there's real optimism about landing a veteran signal caller with at least a, a recent showing of competency and upside behind a creative offense with good wide receivers and a strong rushing attack. They lose Ryan Fitzpatrick in the second quarter of the very first game. And now they're starting a kid who last December was taking collegiate final exams and looking to complete his degree at Old Dominion. Given that dramatic shift, it's hard to know what to think of this matchup. Will it be more of what we've seen from Buffalo versus Washington over the last 30 years? Or is this inexperienced kid, hilariously, the answer at quarterback after this Washington has tried literally everything else to find a signal caller? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And so that's where tonight's guest comes in, Mr. Paul Williams from the 50 Gut Podcast. How are you doing tonight, sir? Drew. Doing very well, man. Thanks for having me on, Chris. What's going on with you, man? <laughs> oh, we're doing. Uh, we are doing. Now, well, here's what I love about you guys. Now, our listeners are like, wait a minute. You've never had this guy on before. We've never heard of him. Yeah, It's because, Chris, we've never been able to nail down a Redskins guest. No, not really. I think the oh, last excuse me, Washington football team. Yeah. Let's I not think, go get canceled. I think the last time we had one, somebody on it was Sam Gold. Sam Gold, who's just busy. Athletic, he covers Seattle, but he likes Washington, but he's got a YouTube channel. It's like, it's, that's, that's cool. But so as I'm browsing the internet, I'm like, I need to find a group who's kind of our speed, but also who's available, somebody I can reach out to who I enjoy, who I might enjoy a conversation with. I come across what... It's in their bio. It's self-proclaimed pettiest Redskins podcast. And I go, okay, let me listen to this because Chris, we're the pettiest Bills podcast. podcast. You, Paul, you guys are hilarious. Thank you, thank you, man. Hey, man, the pettiness brings it out of us, and there's plenty petty about around these parts. So it kind of just seeps from our pores. We don't even try to be jerks on on the pod, but it kind of just comes out that way. Right? I mean, it's refreshing (laughs) to hear a group of guys willing to talk a little shit about their own team, 
and other people in the pursuit of what is football catharsis. It's like, look, we're all watching this thing, and sometimes we just got to blow off a little steam. You, you, One of your co-hosts, I, I, I told you this privately, but I'm going to say it on air, used the line that I woke my wife up. I was laughing so hard as I'm listening to this in bed while she's sleeping next to me. Lamar Jackson is just Quincy Carter who got Kodak Black's phone number. <laughs> I laughed so hard that my chest hurt and I had to leave the room. And she's like, what is, what's happening? Is there something? No, honey, there's nothing wrong. It's, that was hysterical. You, and that was the moment that I fell in love with your show. Oh man, appreciate it. And you know, you know, you've heard us saying that misery loves company. And while like, I wouldn't say that Ravens are a rival. I've known enough Ravens fans in my life to know that I don't like that team up North of 95 North. Cause all they do is talk shit. So while I, don't, I love Lamar Jackson, I mean, who doesn't, I have to take a minute to troll these folks every chance I get. So <laughs> you, lose, you lose to the Raiders, you're getting these jokes. <laughs> Chris, doesn't that, isn't that kind of our speed? Yeah, it is. Oh, dude. We Same op- way with the Dolphins. We literally just opened the show with a rundown of your last decade of quarterbacks. You guys and Bills fans have a lot more in common than I think people like to correlate. You beat us in that Super Bowl, and since then... Like, we've had your number more often than not, but on the whole, both of our franchises have been in the same place, just looking for a quarterback. And you guys might have found one in the weirdest way possible, and that's where I want to start this conversation. If we're looking at the offensive side of the ball, this rise of Taylor Heineke. How crazy is it that this dude was literally taking college tests a year ago in December? And now he's your starting quarterback. Ah, uh, man, nothing surprises me as a fan of this team. And we've seen uh, a lot of starting quarterbacks, like you said, especially the past couple of years. I, I think we've started three quarterbacks each year for the past three years, including 2019. We started four quarterbacks, but it's it's only fitting that you know on the eve of the playoffs, get news that Taylor Heineke starting. This kid has been. In town for less than a month, he was taking classes at ODU, getting ready to put football behind him, fresh off a stint in the XFL, which, you know, went out of business. And he's out there going toe-to-toe with Tom Brady in a playoff game. I'm like, yo, yo, this whole time we've been looking for a quarterback, he's been right down the street. <laughs> right? It's, crazy. it's, it's crazy. right there. And in that playoff, and that's where T- Taylor Heineke caught my eye. Because here I am just celebrating. My father's over. He's drinking moonshine out of a pint glass. And we're partying because the Bills just won the wild card game against the Colts. And I'm watching this Tampa Bay Redskins game, and I'm going, damn, they're not doing bad. This team is hanging in there. They might have a shot at winning this thing. And you took them to the wire. Is that where this love of Taylor Heineke started for the fan base? Yeah, I mean, I think that's exactly where it started. Uh, you know, nobody knew much about this kid a couple of years ago. Uh, even last year, nobody knew much about him. But he's had two primetime games as his first starts here. One was against Tom Brady in the playoff game. The other was on Thursday night uh, versus the Giants. You know, you had national audience in both games. You know, nobody's going to you know say he's the next best quarterback uh, in the league, but he, he played well. I mean, he's completing 75% of his passes, a rating of over 104 and you've seen the guys we've had here. I mean, you saw Alex Smith last year. You saw Dwayne Haskins here last year. You've seen the Case Keenums of the world and so on and so forth. That's a, a market improvement of what we've had here over the past couple of seasons. And I think also the fact that his teammates really believe in him. You've heard it, Karen McLaurin, Chase Young, these guys 
love them from Taylor Heineke. And that kind of endears him to the fan base, too, because they know that the other players are fucking with him. So it's kind of like, you know, he's playing well. Everybody likes him. You know, he's smashing Bud Light Seltzer over his head in the locker room. I mean, who wouldn't like a guy like that? Now, Chris, doesn't that sound like that's the same dynamic that endeared our team to Josh Allen? Oh, yeah, when you crush that Bud Light at the, uh, down, downtown at the Bison Stadium. When Josh Allen in 2018 wasn't the most refined quarterback, his teammates still loved him because they knew he was the dude. Like, he's going to go to war, and he's going to kill himself trying to win this football game. And I see flashes of that with Taylor Heineke. I mean, when I look at what Ryan Fitzpatrick was brought in here to be, it was to run a very stable offense that was going to be balanced and they were going to run the ball. And Antonio, I mean, there's a reason everybody took Antonio Gibson high in fantasy football because this was going to be a balanced offense behind a good offensive line. And now we finally have this stabilizing force at quarterback. And then you watch Taylor Heineke come in here and go, okay, I can do the short stuff, but I've also got balls of steel. <laughs> I mean, uh, you, yeah. you look at the weapons on this team, and this is what scares me as a Bills fan. Diami Brown leads all wide receivers at 12.6 yards downfield average depth of target. All of the major weapons on this team have an average depth of target of more than 8.5. And yet, when you look at where his passes get completed, it's a lot of the short stuff. It's almost like he lulls you into this false sense of security, and then he just cuts loose and takes shots. But that's got to be new for your fan base. What do you think of that dynamic? Oh, yeah. I, I don't have the stat right in front of me, but it, I know that Alex Smith had, like, the worst depth of completions by a wide margin last year. I think, like, he was only completing passes, like, like four or five yards downfield. I, I think Terry caught, like, 75 passes, like, last year. He only had, like, 650 yards, like, 700 yards. Like, that just <laughs> tells you that no, – <laughs> He's doing everything on his own. He called him the yak monster here in D.C., but that's only because he had to be. If he didn't get any yak, then he wasn't going anywhere because Alex Smith was throwing the ball maybe five yards downfield. But Taylor Heineke, he's a different breed, man. He takes those shots. He's not the strongest arm, but somehow the ball always seems to be completed. Like he, I'll, I'm not going to lie. I'd be nervous watching him because the balls come out kind of like Chad Pennington-like. Like, not, <laughs> he, don't, he don't have a gun. He don't have a laser. But the balls are always completed. Plus, add to the fact that he can extend plays. He loves to scramble. He's kind of like he's throwing his body around. Part of the reason why he hasn't been able to stay healthy, but that's you know, another conversation for another day. Uh, you know that allows receivers to scramble, get upfield. You know, uh, give him an extra second to lose a DB in, in coverage, and the results have been great. Uh, we, had, we had only scored thirty points like once last year, and twice the year before that. His first start, he did it in a primetime spot. So everybody's loving some Taylor Heineke right now because of what he can do for this offense and the places he can take it that we've been before in the past couple of years. So in that primetime game, how much did your butthole pucker when the Giants just score, <laughs> you guys come back down and you say, okay, we're going to run this offense. We're going to try to go down the field and score. And he does not two plays and both of those passes were 50-50 at best balls. Like, yeah. that's not even... Chris, the passes Heineke threw, those aren't even like, hey, I'm going to throw this here because my guy is a 60-40 shot or I see that he's got an edge and I'm going to throw it to the inside shoulder where only my guy can get it. He literally just willed it into space and said, screw it, somebody's going to make a play. How scared <laughs> is a fan when you watch that pass? But, but they were to your point, they worked. How scared did it make you watching him throw those balls? Ah, oh, man. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll say, 
I'll say this. I'll say this. After getting to know what this kid is all about and knowing how well he knows the offense, I have a little more confidence in him now than I did in weeks past. And I'm, we hadn't beat the Giants in six tries before, right? So I was really, really sweating. And I was like, Taylor, man, if you've got one comeback in you tonight, please. And, of course, he marches 85 yards in two plays. And then he leaves that game when he drives at the very end. But it, it's just the fact that everybody likes Taylor. and Everybody believes him. He knows the offense. He's willing to be a playmaker. He's willing to throw the ball, whereas a lot of quarterbacks that have been here don't even want to take chances. So I think that a lot of fans here, me included, while I, I'm nervous watching him play, I'm really nervous watching him play, I respect the hell of him because he's taking chances. Man, like scary money don't make money. And for a long time, we had a lot of scary quarterbacks here. Uh, I mean, you've heard a podcast with a running gag about Kirk Cousins and how he won't throw a ball to the sticks on third down. He just wants to protect his completion percentage and things like that. But Taylor's not like that. He's flinging that ball downfield, and he don't care where it lands. Chris, that could be the quote for the entire Washington. Like, if you wanted to fix the whole franchise, scare money, don't make money. <laughs> yeah, well, the fact that they allowed him to throw the ball, I think, what, 51 times on Thursday night show, yeah. shows that the coaching staff really trusts Heineke to run the offense. I love it. Now, here's what I don't love about your offense. On the offensive line, Talk to me about Sam Cosme. Talk to me about this kid. I want to hear from your mouth because I've already got my own perception. I've looked at the numbers. He was talked up a lot in the preseason, and that's the type of shit I keep telling people not to listen to because rookies have a very steep learning curve. And offensive tackles rarely ever hit the ground running if they're not drafted in the top 10 to 15 to 20 players. Between the penalties against New York and the sack fumbles by Bosa, he's... He's figuring out the NFL game. Is he, I mean, I, I, I think I've done the, the work enough to know, but how confident are you when you look at him? Like, how worried are you about him this Sunday against the Bills? Uh, I was pretty confident in him until I watched a clip of A.J. Epinesa this past, <laughs> this past week. He's been tearing it up for y'all. And I know y'all also got Greg Russell out there. Y'all still have... Um, a lot of talent on that D-line, but he's been eating um, right tackles up all season so far. I mean, he had a day against the Dolphins on Sunday, and I was like, yo, Sam, you need to get stick your game up, bro, because you haven't been doing your, your thing in, in pass protection. I will say this. He's been decent in run blocking. I think he's one of the top right tackles in run blocking grade by PFF this entire season so far, which is very encouraging. You know, he's very athletic. He's very strong at the point of attack. Apparently, he takes the coaching well, but the one thing he can't figure out right now is the pass protection. And he'll learn. He'll figure it out in time, I'm sure. But, you know, Sunday is a big game. It's one that uh, you're going to get a lot thrown at you by the Bills coaching staff. I know they like to throw a lot of exotic looks on defense. And um, if he's not willing to step into the challenge and raise his game a little bit, it's going to be a long afternoon for Keller Heineken and them. Now, do you foresee, based on what just happened <laughs> down there in yeah. Miami— do you foresee Washington coming in here knowing that Cosme, like like I said, if you and me see it, these guys who get paid to notice these things probably know about it already. They're already having meetings about it. They're having. They're saying, okay, guys, <laughs> that, that Rousseau kid and that Epinesa kid, they're going to be a problem. Do yeah. you think that this team, now 51 pass attempts on Thursday Night Football, do you expect to see a more balanced offense just to try to keep that pass rush away from Heineke? Or do you think that they trust the fact that the rest of the offensive line blocks really well that they're going to stick with what won them the game on Thursday? 
Uh, I think, you know, the answer is twofold. I, I do think that they're going to change the scheme a little bit. I think, one, they don't want him throwing the ball 46 times. I think they want to run the ball with um, Antonio Gibson a little bit more. He only got 13 touches on Thursday night. I know that frustrated a lot of fans and fantasy managers out there. I want to see him get his 69 yards and no touchdowns. But um, I think they want to give the ball to him a little bit more. He's shown that he's growing into this role. He's a wide receiver in college, as everybody knows. Everybody was expecting really big things from this year. And he's shown he's improving a lot, but they need to give him the touches. Also, I think that um, Taylor Heineke, uh, he needs to throw in rhythm a little bit more. I think he took a couple sacks on Thursday night where he held the ball a little bit too much. I think that they can kind of mitigate that pass rush if they can get a little rhythm and have him letting that ball go at the top of his drop, three-step, five-step drop, and just getting the ball out to his receivers and playmakers in space. He knows if they hold the ball too long that – Cosby's not going to hold up that much longer than two or three seconds. So uh, I think he knows that he needs to get the ball out of his hands. It's going to be interesting because we literally gave the, uh, what is it? Uh, the Dolphins quarterbacks had 2.7, on average, 2.7 seconds to throw before the rush got there. Like that's yeah. <laughs> that, that's, that's not going to go well. But again, your line has been really good which I, it frustrates me because I wish the Bills could just find a way to build that line. I, I don't understand. It's like everybody's good at run blocking, but also good at pass blocking, and the Bills have been fumbling through this process for years. And now we're going to go up against a team that I think has us outmatched. Chris, is it fair to say on both, on both ends of the trenches? Probably, yeah. I, I like the Redskins' D-line. Well, and that's where I want to switch gears and talk a little bit about the defense. The Washington defense is talked up for the entire offseason, mostly because of that playoff game. That playoff game where everyone goes, well, they won the they won the NFC East because it's the NFC East. They're going to get the right to host the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but nobody gave them a shot at holding with Taylor Heineke there. And yet, late in the fourth quarter, this is still a football game, and it's because of their defense. That's why going into this season, everybody thought in the D.C. Virginia area, everybody's freaking out. And nationally, people are going, all right, this team's respectable. That has not materialized through two weeks of football. And everyone in your area, everyone you talk to, your co-hosts on the podcast, nobody loves that, do they? <laughs> yeah, no, it's been rough. But um, if, if I'm being honest... I think that everybody kind of knew a regression was coming. You know, they were 27th in total defense 2019, right? They, went to, they jumped to second last year. So that's a hell of a jump on defense. We kind of figured that a regression was coming, mostly because whenever they faced a good quarterback last year, they got kind of diced up. I mean, Jared Goff, uh, Matthew Stafford, even Daniel Jones, these aren't even really great world-picking quarterbacks, but they were putting up 30 points on this defense last year. They had seven wins. This is the quarterbacks they faced. In those seven wins, Carson Wentz, Nick Mullins, they faced Andy Dalton twice. They faced Jalen Hurts, which eventually was Nate Sudfield met whatever that week 17 game was. Joe Burrow got hurt and it ended up being Ryan Finn. And then the one aberration is Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, at that point, of the season wasn't playing that great anyway. So they got away with playing great defense down the stretch when they won that winning streak, playing a lot of bad quarterbacks. This year, it, you know, I think that they thought that they would take steps forward in their game. A lot of young players on this defense, especially those four monsters up front. And, you know, while some players have been stepping up, some guys haven't been. Chase Young is only 85th in the NFL in 
uh, I think in uh, pass rush win rate, which doesn't make any sense. How the hell are you 85th out of like 30, uh, 64 possible? <laughs> anyway, I don't know how that works out. Landon Collins, he's off an Achilles injury, and we expect him to come back and do big things. He has a PFF rating of 47.6. I, I don't know if you subscribe to PFF. Oh, no, I do. It. Yeah, not everybody loves PFF, but, you know, he's, he has not been good this season so far. He's been missing a lot of tackles, not really guarding anybody in space, which was our problem with him the last year and the year before that, coming from the Giants. So, you know, but really if I had to pin it down a couple things, uh, undisciplined play, um, they haven't been able to film third downs. They're giving up 58% on third downs, which is, I think, third worst in the NFL. Really That's bad. crazy. They're, yeah. They're fifth in penalties. Um, I mean, their tackling has been decent for the most part, but they've been blowing assignments left and right. You saw that near touchdown on Thursday night to, uh, I think it was Darius Slayton. That should have been a walking touchdown. He just dropped, and there's no DB within 30 yards of him. There's too many plays like that this season so far for this defense that's still learning, still growing, to be making and hoping to be successful. Well, this is what I see. I hear Rivera. Uh, Rivera goes to the microphone and he talks about lack of discipline and players going off schedule and making, uh, tr- trying to freelance, which is leading to big plays for the opposing offense. One analyst I read said to his eyes, the linebackers and safeties aren't communicating post-shift by the offense. And then it's leading to breakdowns in the secondary and at the second level in run support because it's like each linebacker has an idea of what they want to do, but they're not talking to each other. There's no synergy between the guys at that second level who are going to come up and play that, hey, if the defensive line doesn't get home, we have to be the next line of support, and we're a mess right now. I mean, I'm seeing it, and we're watching it. I mean, the most damning thing might be the performance of the defensive line, though, because I think that they looked at John Bostic, right, and they said, okay, you've never been great anywhere, but you're athletic. We can put you in space. Um, I'm not going to lie. I'm not even going to pretend that I know who the fuck your second linebacker is. Uh, he sounds like random white dude number three. Like this, if I was watching, a, if I was watching the uh, the credits of a movie and they said random white dude number three, that's who your next. That's who that linebacker is. <laughs> yeah, no, nah, our linebackers are definitely the weak point of the defense, and that was a fact last year too that they were the weak point of the defense. Uh, John Bostic, you know, you hear the. Uh, quotes from the coaches all offseason saying how smart he is, how smart he is, how smart he is. And that may be all well and good. I'll take some stock advice from him. But on the field, he's not really that great of a football player. I mean, like, he's a, a clear li- liability in coverage. Uh, he's so-so against the run. Uh, I, I have the stat in front of me. He has nine targets this season, nine catches, 102, 11 yards of catch. Uh, random white guy, number two, Cole Holcomb, who's been okay. But he's given up eight catches on 10 targets this season as well. So I don't know if it's communication so far. There has been some lapses in communication, that's for sure. But these guys have never, ever been good in pass coverage. And what they did this season, this all season, to kind of add more help was draft a rookie in the first round, Jamin Davis, who's been okay, but he only started one year at Kentucky. And he's not really ready to play. Anybody that's watched him play this season knows that he's not there yet. What you have is just three linebackers that don't really fit the qualifications to be starting linebackers at this point with this defense because the D-line can be good. The secondary can be fine, and I think it is. But the linebackers, the second level, has really been hurting this defense. Well, let's talk about the defensive line because that, to me, might be the most damning thing about what's happened to you guys this offseason. I mean, firsthand, I'm an, I'm, an, I'm an Alabama fan. 
I talk about it in this podcast. <laughs> I yell at Chris because he's an Auburn fan. I'm not an Auburn fan. I'm an Auburn supporter because my brother went to Auburn. I'm not. I don't. Auburn does. Auburn losing to like to Penn State on Saturday doesn't ruin my Saturday night like it would you. Oh no, my if son you would go, sat on my lap and watched Alabama pull that close one out. And when it, <laughs> when the game got tense, I had to hand my kid off for a minute and be like, "Honey, you gotta, honey, you gotta take him for a second. Like, yeah, like if you lost to Florida, you would have gone outside and smashed Wicker. Maybe, maybe. No, we do. No, Paul, Paul, you don't understand. We have a we have a thing here on the show. Like one of my things is, and Chris has always made the joke. Like fat people don't like Wicker. I used to be three hundred and forty eight pounds. I have a vendetta. So now, when bad things happen during Bills games, there's gifts of me outside just chucking Wicker around my yard. Which which some of our friends and listeners are nice enough to drop off at my house. Which is weird. It weirds my wife out. But listen, these are this is what you get when you married somebody who does a podcast. Sorry. <laughs> I mean that sounds that sounds like a good way to blow some steam. Just go outside and, and destroy a wicker, a wicker chair, or just smash it against a tree or something like that. Yes, it. It, it, yeah. it's it's the best feeling, and it takes no effort. And then also, there's no cleanup because you're not you're just going to haul it out to the curb when you're done. But I oh, know yeah, first, cool. I know firsthand being a bell being a Bama fan. Allen is one of the most talented defensive tackles in the NFL. I'm not shocked he's had a fast start this year. What, uh, what, uh, four sacks or four tack, uh, four pressures, three sacks. He's converting most of his pressures into sacks when they let him into the backfield. He's a monster. But everybody else seems kind of stuck. And I, I look at the six total sacks, but only 32 pressures. Like, the Bills had more than 40, according to Pro Football Focus, against Miami in one game alone. And you guys have 32 through two games. And that conversion rate of you guys turning 20% of your pressures into sacks doesn't feel sustainable. What's happening here? I mean, Chase Young, Defensive Rookie of the Year, Chase Young. One pressure, no sacks, six tackles. What's happening? Oh, man, I wish I had to answer that question. When, when I figure it out, I'll let you guys know. But if I had to give just my uneducated opinion on it, uh, I think a lot of fans wanted to see Chase develop a second and third move this offseason. Because last year, he was winning a lot on pure talent. Straight bull rush, straight edge rush. I'm faster than you. I'm better than you. Yada, yada, yada. But now this year, the combination of them chipping, keeping a tight end and running back on his side and quarterbacks knowing they have to get the ball out quickly. I mean, if you watched that game last Sunday with Justin Herbert, I think he averaged only like two and a half, three seconds per pass, and that was all afternoon. He was putting the ball right where it needed to be, and that ball was never in his hand and gave Chase a a chance to even get close to him. But I think a lot of old tackles have kind of slowed him down this year because he hasn't developed that second move, that third move. I mean, we're just talking about AJ Epinesa, like how he has this like diverse uh, pass rushing scheme. I mean, he does the Euro step. He has the spin move. He has the rip. He has the swim. He does it all. Chase is still doing the same old things he was doing last year. I think that maybe there's been a, like a little catch up on him. Like we know how to defend this guy because he hasn't elevated his game to a degree. I, I still think that he's going to have a monstrous career. I think he's going to be a great player for this franchise for a long time. But until he's able to do that, I don't think that you're going to see like the breakout campaign for this guy. When you look at how the Bills are built, 
your pressure units. Where do you think the Bills' best matchups in your secondary and the passing game outside of the linebacker unit might be? Who in your you cornerback mean, group worries you? Uh, right now, it's Kendall Fuller. And I love Kendall Fuller. I loved him when he was here before we traded him to the Chiefs. I loved him ever since he moved back. But he's been kind of getting cooked this season. Sterling Shepard had a day with him on Thursday afternoon, Thursday night. I think he had like nine catches for 105, and most of those was out of the slot. And when I think of Stephon Diggs, when I think of Cole Beasley, any of these guys – going in the slot and working against Kendall Fuller, it's going to be a long afternoon for me if he doesn't step his game up. That makes me very, very worried. Um, when we drafted Benjamin St. Juice out of Minnesota, we were able to shift him down into the slot, Kendall Fuller. And a lot of fans were really excited about that. Was, oh, wow, now we have one of the best slot cornerbacks in football. But I don't know if he's lost a step or if he's just not really used to playing it inside as much, but he's been getting eaten up. And I know that you guys have a lot of good slot receivers this year and uh, one of the best receivers in the NFL, period, with Stephon Diggs, and they move him around, and uh, you know, like I said, it's been a long afternoon. Well, here's one thing I will say: we've been asking you a lot of pointing questions about all the negative things about your team, and yet at the same time, I look at Diami Brown. That dude looks like a beast. You have you have scary Terry. You have some weapons at your disposal. What about your team makes you confident heading into this game on Sunday? Uh, one thing I'd say is familiarity with the staff in Buffalo. You know, all these guys come from Carolina. This is kind of like a family thing. And I think that Ron Rivera, while he has some head-scratching moments, you know, he does know Sean McDermott very well. You know what I'm saying? Like, this, mm-hmm. that's one of his mentees. And I think that oh. he was able to devise the game plan against what the Bills do well. I think that that could be one, like, uh, thing that we could roll out against you guys. But I think that this offense is bound to take off. Right now, they're 10th in DVOA right now in all, on offense, and that's only under one game with Taylor Heineke. As we mentioned earlier, we have Scary Terry. They have Dami Brown. They have Antonio Gibson. They have Logan Thomas, a guy that has been underutilized so far this season. Uh, the, guy, the, one, the, the Wait, the former Buffalo Bill Logan Thomas? Yeah, we hear the, about that shit all the time. Every time Logan <laughs> Thomas has a big game, it comes up – here, whether it's our local radio stations, whether it's Bill's Twitter, it's, oh, look, look, we have Dawson Knox. We could have had Logan Thomas. It's like, dude, what, what do you want from us? What do you I mean, want if, from In fairness, it took him until age 30 to really break out. I mean, a lot of yeah. things passed on him, right? It's like we just kind of got extremely lucky that this former quarterback decided to be a tight end and then, oh, you know, eight years into his career, become somebody. That's a very long shot. I don't think we can really take credit for this because that's really not like how it's supposed to work out. But, you know, I digress. Uh, but, um, yeah, we, the offense, is. it seems like they've gotten some momentum. Um, you know, playing the Giants is a good slump buster for this uh, team because their defense hasn't been that great. So if they're able to take some strides, you know, they have a, a nine-day break, ten-day break, and they can get some things together. Um I have no faith in us slowing down Josh Allen. I really don't. I know that you guys haven't been as good as you were last year on offense, but this defense on our side has been pretty terrible. But I do have confidence that we could score enough points to make it an interesting game. See, and that's what worries me, Chris. What if we don't hold up our end of the bargain? That's what makes this matchup so much fun. I got to ask you, so as the host of one of the pettiest Redskins podcasts, 
Well, excuse me, Washington football team podcast. Again, I don't want to go get myself in trouble. It's all good. <laughs> Your petty-ass prediction for how this is going to go down. All right. You know, I was confident maybe last week seeing you guys lose to the Steelers. And that was just because, you know, I'm, I'm not a big Steelers fan. Then you guys put that 35 uh, goose egg on the Dolphins. All right, they got right against us. But that's fine, you know. I didn't want you guys coming in 0-2, being mad, being like, oh, we're going to get this win. <laughs> you guys didn't we, want to be the ones we took to the woodshed out of frustration. I, when I turned on that red zone, I saw that you were up 35. Um, nothing on these guys. I was like, okay, thank God. <laughs> thank God. Like, I, I was not trying to be the get-right game because we've been homecoming games a lot. Like, okay, Washington's coming to town. That's an easy dub. I didn't want that. But what scares me most is Josh Allen using his legs. I know he loves to get loose in, in, on scheme plays, on just getting out of the pocket, on scrambling. And you saw on Thursday night we couldn't stop Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones had almost 100 yards rushing against you guys. How did that yeah, happen? Landon Collins. I hate to point out one player, but if you watch those plays on the read options when he was getting loose, you see Landon Collins crashing down hard, and there's nothing but green space behind him. It was the same play that killed us with last year. Landon Collins. He just he doesn't really have that gear to actually change direction once he gets going. He's not the most athletic guy, so Daniel Jones was able to just easily skate around the side. But it, it sets up a good game plan for Buffalo and what you guys want to do. If Josh Allen is allowed to escape the pocket and run free, it's going to be a long day for us. Oh, my, my prediction is, I mean, 10 days is a lot of time to get a game plan together for a team, but I got to see them fix a few things before I actually predict that they can stop an offense of the Bills. So my prediction for Sunday, I would say Bills 31, Washington 23. Where can people find you on social? Where can they, where can they find your podcast, dude? Oh, yeah. Uh, the 50 Gut Podcast. We are on Apple Podcasts. We're on Stitcher. We're on Spotify, all the major uh, pa- uh, podcasting platforms. Also, the socials at 50 Gut Blog on it. Instagram and on Twitter. Check us out. Paul Williams, he's on Twitter at 50 Gut Blog. That was fun. I, lo- I love this and I like meeting people with a sense of humor who do this kind of thing. And that leaves us just one more thing before we get out of here tonight, and that's our keys to victory. Wow, it's a lot of keys. Bigger the keychain, more powerful the man. Chris, look at these biceps. Yeah. What, are you, what are you, Hulk Hogan? <laughs> what what my what, what do you used to say? Is twenty six inch steel pythons? Twenty four. I think it was twenty four inch pythons. Twenty four inch pythons. Yeah, dude. Twenty four. Twenty four inch arms is absurd. I don't know. I prefer Scott Steiner's. Well, the big Papa Pump. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Steroids. Like, like. It's crazy when people like I had somebody ask me once, like, do you think that guy did steroids? And I, I remember I was drinking something because I almost choked to death on it. Like, what do I think? Oh, no, I'm not Scott Steiner. I'm not Hulk Hogan, but I, I'm feeling pretty strong tonight when I look at our keys to victory. Linebackers, Hyde and Tehran need to be sharp in short area coverage. I know we spent time talking about the gunslinger Heineke's been for Washington, which is why you're probably surprised to hear me take this track with our first key. The reality is Heineke has posted some absurd completion percentages over the first two weeks. 74% week one, 73% week two. 
And what's fueled that is that he's super accurate in the short and intermediate areas, where he's 15 to 16 with one interception on throws of less than five yards, and 11 of 13 between five and 10 yards. But he's also willing to sling it downfield, as we saw on that two-play touchdown drive on Thursday against the Giants. If he feels like he can suck the linebackers in and lull you as a secondary into a rhythm to set up his home run shots. That's going to be a tall task, considering how good McLaurin is in these short routes. And what a crisp route runner Diami Brown has been. I mean, we're all psyched, Chris. You're, you're excited about what our defensive line might bring to the table? Yes. But that won't mean much if we let their offense operate the same way the Steelers did, with the quarterback just getting the ball out successfully. And that's the key, getting it out successfully in less than three seconds. This is one of those games where for as good as Milano was on the rush last week, I think we want to see more of him playing coverage because we're going to need to clog up those intermediate and short passing passing lanes or else they're going to try to dink and dunk all over us because that's what their quarterback skill set, for as much as everybody loves his gamer mentality and, hey, I can take deep shots and I'm willing to take risks, that's where he makes his bread. Then pressure on the offensive tackles, right? That's the other way you stop that. And it's going to be Epinesa and Greg Rousseau against Washington's Sam Cosme, the right tackle. One of the best ways to help disrupt that quick game is going to be for the Bills to quickly pressure Heineke. Kind of what we saw against Miami. But that's going to be a tough ask, considering the offensive line as a whole for Washington is pretty solid. I mean, Brandon Scherf is one of the NFL's more sure-handed guards in pass protection. And Flowers has had a career resurgence ever since leaving the Giants, which, is anybody shocked about that? Like, look, a, f- a first-round pick left the Giants, and he's actually pretty good at football. Shock. But they're veterans who are playing some really great football this year. And it's noteworthy that through two games, their interior offensive line has allowed just six pressures, no sacks, and committed zero penalties. Now, obviously, they played two teams that at least on paper look, I'd put it in quotes, worse on defense than what Buffalo has at its disposal. But throwing left tackle Charles Lano, that offensive line is stiff when it comes to pass protection. But that's where Sam Cosme comes in. The fourth-round pick is their starting right tackle, entering just his third game of NFL action. And he's going to be squaring off with Epinesa and Rousseau, who just ate the lunch of a former first-rounder who sucks, and a veteran tackle in Austin Jackson and Jesse Davis. Cosme's technique is a little sloppy. His two holding penalties last week are the only... I mean, everyone was like, oh, good. So he didn't play Bosa, Joey Bosa, and he didn't get killed, but he committed two holding penalties. And they're the only ones to be called on their entire offensive line this season. Well, he's also the only offensive lineman to give up a sack. And while Logan Thomas might be asked to help out because he's their best pass-protecting tight end, their other one is trash in pass protection. Greg Rousseau has two things working for him in that regard. In college, his pass rush win rate versus tight ends was otherworldly. Daniel Jeremiah did a whole five minutes about how you cannot use tight ends to block Greg Rousseau. And if the skins are keeping their best tight end in to help stop their right tackle from being a liability, isn't that a win? Yeah. Look at you. You have three dynamic pass catching weapons. But we're going to have to leave one of them in sometimes just to make sure that your rookie defensive end doesn't kill our quarterback. That would feel like a win. 
I'd like to see them continue this trend of being creative with their pressure. But in order for them to do that, our front four are going to have to win 1v1. And the best opportunity we have to do that is with Epinesa and Rousseau against this rookie, which is going to force Heineke to move off his spot to the left, potentially abandon the quick and accurate game that they opened up so far that they've been operating to a T with him at quarterback, and maybe force him into making some mistakes. And on our, in terms of mistakes for us on offense, Dable is going to have to bring his A game. The biggest issue outside of a lacking pass rush for Washington thus far this year has been their opponent's ability to create miscommunications between the linebackers and safeties, resulting in some glaring mistakes. Against the Chargers, they give up six passes of more than 17 yards. They gave up three. The Giants' offense stinks. Can we agree that Daniel Jones is not a great quarterback? The entire organization sucks. Okay. Three passes of 17-plus yards against the Giants. And even though Keenan Allen only had a 17-yard, like that was his long reception on the day was 17 yards, he was able to put up a 100-yard day on nine receptions. Uh, that, that Keenan Allen for the Chargers is a guy that you go into the game knowing that you have to cover well in order to stop. We're going to need to see Dable dust off some of this pre-snap motion and tight end motion that he used last year to manipulate the defense and help Allen find his keys ad nauseum. And he'll need to find a way to attack the linebacker course, specifically of John Bostic and Cole Holcomb, who through two games as linebackers, they've been targeted 19 times and they've given up 17 receptions for 173 yards. And they're both allowing over a 100 passer rating when they're targeted. And that's wild. I haven't heard of two starting linebackers legitimate like, hey, these were our guys that we picked out of training camp to be our starters performing that poorly. And I think that when their head coach vents his frustrations about this lack of communication and the we're not playing team defense, that's the kind of shit he's talking about. Now, it'll be tough knowing that Jonathan Allen is a game record defensive tackle and that in order to take advantage of that middle of the field, the quarterback usually can't be rolling out. So that's something that the Bills are going to have to manage. But if they can and they can work the middle of the field where Washington is weak, especially early on in the game, it should force their safeties to help, which will allow Diggs and Sanders more room to operate on the outside. After the Allen stuff we talked about this week in our recap, I'd like to see an uptick in play-action passing as well. Slants, shallow crossers, just things to get their defense on their heels a little bit and help Allen find a rhythm while still moving the football consistently. If Brian Dable can do these things, I have no doubt in my mind that the Bills offense can find enough, I don't even want to call it a steadying presence, I think that they can be steady enough that Allen gets this confidence that it feels like he's been lacking. He won't feel so reliant on having to take these deep, deep questionable shots all game long. I'm looking forward to these things because I think if the Bills can do them well, I don't know how we lose this football game. Chris, do you have a prediction? I think we're going to win. I think I have a feeling Washington will cover to the nine. It's a ridiculous spread. The nine and a half. I don't like them. I don't like the matchups with uh, in the trenches. No, no, it on, doesn't on favor side. us. Uh, it doesn't favor us on either side. I think the Bills are going to win. 20 to 13. To your point, I was about to say, this is one of those games where I see it being a field goal game. 
I'm not willing to put a score on it. I think the Bills win. Well, that's because you're a pussy. No, I'm not. <laughs> listen, it's early in the season. I'm not willing to drink a sequence yet. But I'm, I'm, I'll say they win. But, man, it's going to be a field goal game. It's going to be one of those things. And it does concern me a little bit that we missed a field goal last week late when there was no pressure. Oh, yeah. That was the the end of the half. Yeah, 53 yard field goal with but there's no pressure and to He pushed that wide right. And that would have missed that would have missed right if you put another set of uprights <laughs> to the right of the feet, the field goal. It's one of those things where I feel like this game for as much as Vegas, for as much as fans, it's going to be a tough one. It's going to be a fist fight because they have us outclassed in the trenches at least compared to what I've seen so far this season. But I believe the Bills are a better offense. And a more complete, a more experienced quarterback, a more experienced defense in terms of playing together, a defense that's clearly playing cohesive football. I mean, we talked about that, the synergy on the defensive front seven. I just think that that's enough to get this done this week. I really do. Because this team doesn't have that many weapons that scare me. I agree with you. I can't wait to see it play out. Go follow the 50 Gut Podcast because it made me laugh. Like I said, this isn't a joke. This isn't an exaggeration. It made me laugh my ass off. Oh, I can't wait for this game, but we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been your Rockpile Report Week 3 Preview. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.